to the SAF podcast from SAF Investor. In this pod, we're delighted to have John May, Managing Director at Hamilton Clark. John's a veteran uh, biofuels financier. He's been involved in SAF really since the start of the industry. And he's going to take us through how you find investors, what sort of investors you want, and how you can manage different risks, including technology risk, as you go to commercialization. We really enjoyed this, and we hope you do too. John, thanks so much for joining us. You've got a really interesting career. Do you want to take us through how you ended up being an investment banker? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I started out um, as a lawyer, and um, I got interested in uh, finance um, and worked on a few project financings as a lawyer. And then um, I liked it so much that I decided to take the exam and um, – uh, get registered, and um, then I joined a uh, an investment bank um, and started working on project financing and actually doing the financing itself rather than, uh, you know, providing uh, legal opinions about it. And at the start of your career, you were doing general project finance? Uh, yes, pretty much. Um, I, I, I started um, early in the early 2000s, um, doing um, project financing for um, what, what was called first-generation biofuels, um, ethanol, biodiesel. Um, they were uh, two areas where there was a lot of uh, project development in the, um, you know, in the, in the sector and people were, were building projects left and right. Um, and so I thought it would be a good place for me because I could then finance these projects and understand how they work. And um, that's what got me really interested in, in biofuels and then later in sustainable aviation fuels. So you've really been in the biofuels industry right from the start. That's right. Yeah, I was fortunate. My timing was good, I guess. And then when did you do your first SAF deal? I want to say somewhere around um, 2013. Um, it could have been a, a year earlier, so I don't remember exactly. But um, I think the first time I was a financial advisor was to Fulcrum Bioenergy, um, which is a uh, West Coast uh, firm that um, is still going strong and um, I worked on as an advisor on their first project um, and that was closed. That financing was closed. And then I was often off and running, really. It's interesting. Isn't it? I don't blame you for not knowing the date, because when you get involved, it's it's not it's quite rare for you to get signed up by a client and you know finish acting for them in the first year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. When do you typically first start talking to potential borrowers? Well, um, lately, you know, SAF has become such a huge um, global phenomenon, really. Um, in the uh, sustainability sector, uh, I would have to say that SAF is one of the most um, popular areas uh, in, in the world. Um, the only thing that would rival it maybe would be... Um, 
the, the uh, trend to um, put in place carbon capture. Um, so in a way, SAF has become emblematic of, of uh, sustainability. People are hyper aware of the fact that um, airplanes um, produce these contrail um, methane emissions, and they're a huge uh, contributor to um, global warming and to um, the problems that we have. Um, and so um, trying to find an, a solution to how to um, develop a technology that will allow uh, airplanes to fly without um, producing the contrails is a, is a gigantic uh, task and it's going to take um, years and years. And I, I'm just lucky to be in on the early part of it. When you talk about it being a hot um, sector for investors, is there enough capital out there for all of the projects that people are hoping to start? That's a great question. Um, the answer is yes, there's definitely enough capital, but um, where the complexity comes in is um, there are a lot of investors um, and um, uh, we call on institutional investors only. Those are people that have at least $50 million of capital under at one time. And there are literally hundreds, um, uh, if not thousands of those investors around the world. But the problem is that the problem is that um, not all of those investors are willing to take the early stage technology scale up risk that um, we have in the sustainable aviation space. Um, the, the plain fact is that um, there are so many different ways to make SAF, to actually produce it, that are being um, tried by developers, um, different technologies from different international technology companies. Um, and so each project uh, is its own little uh, Rubik's Cube of um, risks and issues that an investor has to get comfortable with um, before investing the money to um, to build one of these projects. And that's where I, I find my role is, is the most fun is in um, uh, helping the client get their message about how they're going to, to develop the SAF project and why they've chosen that methodology. Um, uh, to the investors and um, that uh, knowledge allows them to make a better judgment about the investors to make a better judgment about whether or not they're willing to invest. And so being a specialist in SAF has helped me uh, tremendously because it's helped me become a better salesperson in getting the message out for individual clients to institutional investors. When you're selling it, has it all changed post-COVID? In the past, did you used to do physical roadshows? Now, is it mainly virtual? It's all virtual, yeah, pretty much. Which is much more efficient for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. So very, very much so. Yeah. I did a lot of traveling as a younger man, but uh, thankfully uh, uh, we're in a different field now. So you've got the different stages at a staff company. You've, you've got someone who comes up with an idea or a new, you know, a new process or technology, and they go and find venture funding usually, which is relatively easy to find. Um, no, I would say it is not. Um, first of all, we should define um, venture funding. Um, you know, I, I think most people. Um, who aren't investment bankers uh, think that um, when a new technology is invented and it demonstrates that it's bringing something new to the world that's going to benefit people, um, all you have to do is call up a private equity or venture capital firm and then they'll put the money in, invest the money in the company and the company will start up um, and, and move forward. Um, I think people first saw this, um, activity that I just described um, with software uh, 20 years ago. Um, the, the, I think the thing that people don't understand is that um, once um, the investors got, got familiar with software risk, which was really in terms of technology scale up was did not involve a lot of um, risk of non-performance of the technology. Um, I think with um, sustainability in general and in particular SAF, um, there are so many different ways to make SAF. There are so many different um, <clears throat> um, elements or, or, or uh, pieces of the um, manufacturing process that have to be um, chosen, selected, and then lined up in a certain order in order for the SAF to uh, be made, that um, my experience as a banker has been that most private equity and venture capital firms um, look at SAF as being too risky. And for that reason, it's uh, more difficult to raise early stage money of equity typically that would come in at the parent level of, um, of a particular company. And I think that's um, what's made the SAF industry um, intriguing, I guess you would say, to people is that we've got to, to, to help the airlines um, figure out a way to solve this problem of decarbonization but there is no easy route to do it. Um, it is not easy to find investors who are willing to take the, the risk on these early stage technologies. And so um, that's why basically I'm in business uh, uh, and doing a lot of business is because we have to call on a lot of different investors and not just private equity and venture capital, but new kinds of investors that have come about in the last few years, such as um, environmental, social, and governance, or ESG funds. Um, these are funds that um, are organized and structured like a private equity fund, but they only invest in sustainable uh, types of investments. Um, you know, there's Bill Gates's Breakthrough Ventures is a great example. Uh, and 
and there are lots of other smaller funds as well. Um, but it, it takes a lot of um, time to find a match between the SAF developer, the project developer, and um, a SAF investor. And in fact, the really <laughs> each one of these projects is its own journey, if I might put it that way, poetically a little bit, uh, because um, each uh, project, it seems to me anyway, it, it, as I see it, to present its own um, risks and its own idiosyncrasies. Um, and um, as a result, um, everything is custom made in a way. Um, the project is custom made. The finance, raising the financing is is customized. You can't just send out a traditional PowerPoint deck that would cover every project. It's the absolute opposite. Every project is unique and has to be explained, um, you know, very, very carefully uh, in detail. That's really interesting. So finding the, the money to set up the, you know, the, the venture, it's really hard. And then the next really hard one is getting what the, the development equity before you've even got a project, you need a lot of cash to get to that point. Don't you? That's a great point. Yeah, and that's a point that's frequently overlooked. Um, the, the typical cost to build a first commercial scale sustainable aviation fuel project could be 300 to $500 million. That's how expensive one project could be. And that's just for the uh, paying for the cost of constructing the actual uh, facility that's going to um, or project that's going to produce the SAF before you get to that 300 to 500 million, you, you made an excellent point, And that is that um, I have to raise um, pre-project development equity, which is really just the money that's needed to pay um all for, for the developer to pay all of the expenses to go through um, front end engineering and design and a host of other um, items that have to be paid for uh, before the project is at so-called final investment decision, FID. And when it's at FID, that means it's ready uh, to be a project uh, financing, but there really is no um, real history or organized market for development equity the way there is for um, corporate equity at the parent level or uh, for early stage companies. Um, that's common and, and, and that money is out there. Um, and then for project financing, there is both debt and equity money available often um, for the projects. But the development equity, um, uh, there's really no organized market for. And that's why um, SAF is such a difficult space, I think, because it's hard to raise that first um, 50 to $100 million of development equity. Quite often we see that the engineering company that's consulting often ends up becoming a small investor. Is, is that normal in other industries? Um, 
I haven't seen it that much. I have not seen in my uh, practice uh, engineering companies uh, becoming investors. Um, you have to remember that um, when you when you if you're an investor and you put money into an early stage um, sustainable aviation fuel project, at the beginning you're you're dealing with an early stage company, typically, meaning a company that's only been in existence for a couple of years. Furthermore, you are dealing with a company that uh, many, in many cases has invented its own SAF technology, which has never been proven at commercial scale. Um, there are situations that I've worked on and this has become increasingly popular where it, a, a developer or an early stage company will, instead of trying to develop their own SAF technology, they will license the technology of an international technology company like Halder Topsub, for example, or Johnson Matthey or Axons or any one of a number, Honeywell, any one of a number of international uh refining technology companies that have been around for a long time and they have a SEF technology of one kind or another and they uh, for for a licensing fee they will license uh, the right to use the technology to the developer and the developer then um, pays for that license and then uses the technology and the plans if you will right um, uh, that, that come with that license um, with which to, to, to actually develop the project. And I think that's really one of the reasons why SAF has become not only um, popular, but uh, it's a reason why we're seeing more and more project development is because it's very difficult to, to think up in your own mind, sitting by yourself at night, uh, how am I going to make this SAF? That, that's one issue and that's very hard. The other is, um, a lot easier where you license the technology that's proven that it, it comes with a warranty um, and it's um, it, 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 it's uh, useful in that the uh, uh, developer can then just use that technology and follow the right steps and guidance from the uh, licensor and um, um, be very confident that it's going to work. But there is another option. I've, I've, I've sat up at night and I've come up with my own technology and that's to use technology risk insurance, which is, you're really the inventor of and you're recognised, you know, you've got an award from the Commercial Aviation Alternative Fuels Initiative for this. Do you want us to take us through technology risk insurance? Sure. Um, well, um, I guess um, initially... Um, in my career, I worked on some projects um, in sustainable aviation fuel um, where the projects were built and they didn't work perfectly the first time. Um, that's not unusual. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I started to think to myself, um, what, what sort of um, um, tool could I use in those situations to allow the, 
the project to, to be fixed and then move on and complete the financing of the fixed project, in effect. And uh, that's what got me to thinking about um, insurance um, as a potential um, way to de-risk these projects. So I went to New York City and met with a friend of mine who was in the insurance industry. And this was before technology risk insurance had ever been developed, really. Um, So this was in the the mid 2015 era, I guess you would say. Um, And they said that um, they would do an actuarial analysis of each individual SAF project. And I said, what's an actuarial analysis? And an actuarial analysis is really an analysis that looks at probable outcomes, potential and probable outcomes distributed along a a curve. And um, then as a result, they could um, put a price on the insurance that they were providing. And... um, that was, uh, I knew very little about insurance at that point. Um, and so that was just amazing to me that um, the insurance company could hedge its own risk by fully investigating the technology and then plotting potential outcomes of, of whether the technology would work. And uh, that really changed my career, frankly, because um, because I was the first, I didn't invent it, I was the first to use it um, in SAF and in biofuels. And as a result, I did win that award from Caffey. And then I ended up on the cover of Biomass Magazine and the rest is, is history. How, how much does it cost roughly as a, as a, are we talking, you know, for, for a project, are we talking, you know, 5%, 3%? I mean, what, what is the cost of capital? No, the, I was thinking, sorry, what is the cost of the insurance? Technology? Oh, of the insurance, excuse me. Well, that varies widely depending upon which insurance company you're uh, dealing with. There are a number of insurance companies out there now. Um, I can mention just two uh, for the listeners um, that I've worked with. One is New Energy Risk, which is very good. And um, that's a U.S. Um, insurer. And then... Um, Another uh, firm that I like a lot in, uh, that is based in the UK and that works all over the world is uh, Parhelion. And Parhelion um, is, is interesting because they are reinsured by um, Lloyds of London and Munich Re, which are huge, gigantic international insurers. Um, and so you, if you're a developer, and I'm working with you and I recommend that you get insurance because I think it's important to try to de-risk the project uh, to try to get the best cost of capital, um, then um, it becomes a pretty easy decision. We can just talk to a number of insurers and see who has the best policy for this situation and the right price that the uh, developer can afford and we're off and running. Talking about cost of capital, these are you know, we've talked about this is a long-term process. So I could have started working on a an idea for SAF five years ago. And I could be about to go into, you know, I could have been working on this full-time for five years. And during that period, 
we've seen interest rates shoot up. We've also seen huge amounts of inflation. You know, I was talking to someone who's building a facility and, you know, the, the cost of steel alone and, and labour has shot up hugely. Capital costs are a lot higher than I would have planned five years ago now, aren't they? They are. That's a great observation. And um, I don't know what to do about that. Um, I don't think there's anything the banker can do about it. And I don't think there's very much that the developer can do about it uh, either. I think that that's why I made the point a few minutes ago about um, the, the, the cost of these projects being very, very large. And one of the reasons why um, it's going to take a number of years to decarbonize the aviation sector is that a number of these individual projects, these plants that cost hundreds of millions of dollars have to be built all over the world. Um, and ultimately they'll be built um, not in the middle um, of nowhere where they have been so far sort of out in the middle of nowhere, but they'll be built close to airports, right? So that the fuel can be delivered to the airport uh, in the most economic way. Uh, but we're, we're far from that at this point. Now, almost every project is, um, is some in some small town in some country, right? Where the developer has decided to, to build this project. And um, then once uh, they've built the project, it, the SAF is produced, but then the SAF has to be delivered to um, the airlines at a particular location, typically the airport, obviously. And um, that's how it works at this point. But that will change over time. I think over time, we'll see SAF projects being developed close to airports. Um, and with the future of um, aviation being uh, very bright in terms of not just being sustainable, but ultimately we'll be able to get to uh, electricity driven or e-fuels um, driven uh, sustainable aviation. That will be the next phase. And then beyond that, we have hydrogen as a potential um, fuel or energy source for short haul flights. Uh, people are talking about that now already. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons I love the space is it's, it's so intricate. It's so complicated. It's so constantly changing. Uh, that it's impossible to be bored as a banker in this space. It's just a lot of fun. Although you could imagine in 10 years' time when you've got, or maybe 20 years' time, you, you know, you'll be able to go out to investors going, we've done four deals like this, extremely similar technology, extremely similar location. These all priced to X. Are you in or out? It could get more commoditized, the financing, but not I hope, for long I hope it will ultimately, because that means that they'll get um, there'll be more um, sustainable aviation fuel, and that means there'll be less carbonization from these contrails. And that's really the whether you're um, looking at 2030 or 2050, right? Um, depending on which country you're in, there are different um, expectations of um, decarbonizing the sector by a certain date. And uh, if it's the US or if it's, let's say the UK, uh, there, 
there are goals being set up or the European Commission is setting up goals for, for when these um, certain targets of decarbonization have to be met. And I think that's important because if we don't uh, establish those targets and establish accountability for reaching the targets, then we're not going to um, stay on course to, to actually achieving the decarbonization. When you're doing a roadshow, presumably regulation is one of the areas that you get asked about the most. Are investors confident that things like the Inflation Reduction Act or EU refuel will stay as they are? Or you know, do, do they get, is there enough certainty in the regulation, regulatory environment for, for most investors? I think there is. Um, I think it goes back to biofuels. Um, and I'll use the U.S. as an example, if I, if I might. That is that um, when the renewable fuel standard was initially established at the federal level, and that um, was a uh, procedure that involved um, trying to put um, a total amount of fuel in each year um, for things like ethanol, and biodiesel. Um, and that RFS or renewable fuel standard is now common uh, way of um, understanding how much um, biofuels of whatever kind are being produced and what sort of um, incentives or credits uh, uh, like the RFS um, and the low carbon fuel standard in America um, can be brought to bear as an additional incentive, uh, economic incentive to the developer. And those are really important uh, incentives because they can make the difference between whether a project is profitable and not profitable, the, their eligibility for those incentives. So it's extremely important that we follow through on that in the Inflation Reduction Act. And there is um, a provision that it's in the 45 uh, Q, uh, and then there are other constants that follow that. Each one of them is a different um, incentive uh, for a different type of fuel or energy. And um, so I think the Inflation Reduction Act is certainly going to help uh, because it's going to provide an additional economic uh, incentive or additional piece of revenue to the developer that would not otherwise be there that is from the government and not from the airline. And that's important because um, we need to, to be as fast as possible in developing these projects so that we decarbonize as fast as possible. If I've set up a plans for a SAF project and I'm out there looking for investors, it really helps, doesn't it, to have uptake agreements from airlines? Well, it's really almost impossible to get financing without an offtake. Um, and so, um, and because the airlines, um, um, you know, are, are running on a, on a, on a super, um, thin margin, um, in terms of their economics, um, it's very difficult to just call up an airline and say, hi, I'm John May. I'm developing a SAF project. Uh, will you be the off taker? And, the, and then the question is immediately, um, there are several questions. One is, 
what is it going to cost and can the airline afford it? And then under what um, offtake agreement is the, is the phrase that we use. That's the agreement between the developer and the airline under which the um, uh, fuel is sold to the airline at a certain price and based on other terms and conditions. And that has also um, become a staple of, of SAF is the need for these offtakes. So the ultimately what I would say is one of the most complicated things about SAF besides the technology itself, which is incredibly complicated, is the economics of SAF. And in the end, um, who pays for what? What does the developer pay for? What does the off-taker or airline pay for? What does the government pay for? The UK um, Jet Zero Council has been talking for several years now and trying to create a platform or a regime for SAF in the UK. I think um, Philip New, the former head of biofuels for um, <clears throat> British Petroleum, has been a leading voice on the Jet Zero Council in trying to develop a regime that will um, uh, work for um, projects as they go forward. And um, I think that's really important that um, each country develop their own approach. I know India is looking at it too, uh, for example, and each, each uh, country is going to have to develop their own approach to um, how to provide the incentives uh, and whether uh, tax credits would be used or some other form of subsidy. I think one of the interesting things that Philip New suggested was that if you could put a, a cap on like a not a ceiling but a, a a cap on how low pricing could get it would be a massive advantage when you're going out to find investors but i i think that's going to take years and and i think he suggested that it would it would actually be a great thing to do in the, the commercial insurance markets rather than um a government act to do it that's right you, you see that as a good solution um i i think that um um any way to use the private sector and not the government is going to be easier for um, the sector because um, governments change, right? And so um, uh, what we don't want to do is um, have a controversial uh, SAF regime put in place uh, by a government and then a new government comes in and then uh, they change the regime and it disrupts the entire SAF industry. So I think um, a lot of thought needs to go into how these um, regimes are going to be set up and what the government is willing to pay for and what the private sector is uh, going to have to pay for. That has to be established. It has to be clear and it has to be um, continuous in order for people in the investor market to have confidence in um, investing in that market. Coming back to offtake agreements, if I'm cynical, which I sometimes am, I'd look at those and go, you're signing an agreement, an airline is signing an agreement for something in five years' time where the, the price isn't particularly agreed. It's not, you know, it's, it's very rarely firmed up. We don't know necessarily what the cost of the feedstock is going to be. We don't yet know what the commercial costs of producing the SAF will be. And as an airline, I'm usually committing for maybe three years, five years in the future 
um, do investors look at these hard or is it something where, you know, if you've got a large airline group backing it, you know that there's going to be a need for them to use SAF and, and you're just, it's just the commitment that itself that matters. That's a really good question. I'm, you know, I, each SAF project is its own individual um, uh, piece of work in a, in a sense. And um, I think you're right in observing that there are major airlines certainly that have made commitments to um, buy SAF produced by developers under offtake. But um, rarely are the details of the offtake agreement and the obligations of uh, the airline disclosed in any detail. Um, it's, a, it's actually a closely guarded uh, secret, um, and it should be. It shouldn't be everybody's business. Um, and I think um, there's a lot of individuality and um, customization that goes into uh, each each project, each offtake agreement with each airline, and um, both sides of that equation have to be extremely comfortable with what what is ultimately agreed upon and put into motion. When you're looking for funding, project finance, does it help if you if you have an airline investing alongside? Because I guess that also backs up the offtake agreement. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's the home run in the industry. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more airlines um, in different parts of the world start to come to SAF. It was an announcement in Biofuels Digest um, last week about things that are going on in India, uh, in SAF, um, in Australia. Um, we're, we're seeing countries... Uh, come into the SAF market and become uh, interested in um, in supporting SAF, and so I think that's um, that's good for the industry because I think that's going to propel us forward, and ultimately it will be a global industry, and um, it will ultimately reduce the carbon uh, footprint of the airline industry, and that's what we're trying to achieve together. I know you're active internationally. When, you, when you're looking at a deal, is is the SAF, um, the SAF capital market, the, the institutional investors and the and to a certain extent the um, ESG funds you talked about, is that dominated still US dominated? Or if you're doing a deal in Australia, will you be looking at superannuation funds? Or in India, will you be looking to you know local investors? I still think that there are more. Um investors in the U.S. Um, and Europe than probably any place else uh, who, who have the uh, temperament to, to invest. Um, I, I think that as um, new SAF projects get developed in new countries um, and people go through the process of understanding what the risks are, just as you've described, um, we'll start to see more and more investors in those regions invest. So it's really a, a, a human nature issue, really, when you really get down to it, is are people comfortable with the risks involved? 
And to get comfortable, they have to really study the space and uh, the options, um, because the optionality around how you make SAF is so diverse. There's so many different pathways to SAF. There's a, you know, you can pick up one feedstock, um, which is um, biomass, or you could pick uh, CO2 as a feedstock. There are a number of different conversion technologies, um, depending upon which uh, feedstock choice you've made. And then ultimately, based upon that um, uh, development process, you end up with a particular type of project. And um, at the moment, there is a lot of innovation going into the development of these projects with these different choices being made between feedstock conversion technology and offtake partner. And so there's a lot of um, individuality and therefore complexity for investors. Um, it's not all one color by any means. Uh, it's the exact opposite. It's a mosaic at this point, And uh, it'll be that way for, I think, a, a few years until um, people on both the um, borrowing side and on the developing side get comfortable with a few um, common approaches, the way uh, that solar and wind, for example, energy ultimately resolved themselves to using a certain type of blade or a certain type of panel uh, in, the, in the case of solar, um, and it became the standard. But we're not near that uh, at, at the moment in the case of SAF. And your job is to find the investors who like the different types of products. So some love being investing in cutting edge technology. Others would rather have a more proven um, approach. Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest um, thing that keeps me up at night is that I've been um, attending a number of SAF, international SAF conferences virtually. Um, at my age, I'm not really that interested in traveling uh, to Indonesia for, you know, from, from the, uh, St. Louis, Missouri to, to go to a SAF conference and take a 20-hour flight. So in these virtual um, presentations, what I've been talking about is um, what we have been talking about today. And I think people are still just getting used to the idea that SAF is coming and that um, each country is going to have to develop their own regime around it. Um, and um, the uh, specific um, incentives that are developed in each country, as well as the carbon markets, both the voluntary and the mandatory uh, carbon credit markets are going to be extremely important economic drivers for SAF going forward. Um, and I think we're going to see a proliferation of um, carbon credits um, coming from the SAF industry. We haven't seen that yet because there's so few projects, but ultimately there will be a lot more. So if I am, if I'm looking for investors, apart from hiring you and Hamilton Clark, um, what tips would you give me? Um, well, I, I mean, I think the first is an obvious point, and that is that I would look for um, corporate or institutional investors that actually have the money as opposed to um, high net worth 
individuals or family offices. Um, SAF is a very expensive industry in terms of how, how much each individual stage of each individual project costs. So I think you need to um, be talking to institutional investors that have a, a large amount of capital under, under management and therefore have the ability to uh, provide the capital needed at each stage of the SAF development process. So, so you'd go for a corporate or an a corporate, particularly strategic or an institutional straight away when I've, I've got the, that's interesting because you can spend a lot of time talking to family officers, can't you? Yes, you can. Well, you can spend a lot of time talking to institutional investors too, but I mean, um, our sales uh, uh, effort at Hamilton Clark, um, you know, is very rigorous. It's very intense. Uh, we, we go, we try to scour um, um, all the uh, information and data that's out there about uh, potential investors before we establish a very lengthy and individualized for each project uh, set of investors. And then we go out to those investors and we, um, you know, we call on them and we, we will spend weeks putting together uh, a PowerPoint type of document um, a presentation on that particular SAF project, as well as help the client with the financial model um, and other issues uh, like the offtake agreement and the incentives in order to present a case that is going to be um, interesting to the investor. I think that's part of the craft of investment banking is developing the story around the project and then selling that story to the investors. I really like that. How often do you do a list of, I'm guessing you'd, you'd easily have a list of maybe 100 potential. How often do you go, this deal is perfect for X institution, and then you call X institution, they go, this deal is perfect for us. Or do you normally come up with a list of 100, and then you'll be surprised that number 85 loves it? I think the latter. Okay. I think, I think it's still so early in SAF that... Um, One's not quite sure, uh, certainly not uh, certain, uh, what is going to motivate a particular um, type of institutional investor. Um, you know, I think SAF is a bit of a fad right now, to be honest, right? So you see uh, Breakthrough Ventures, you know, investing in SAF. You see, um, uh you know, the, uh, the British investing in SAF uh, and their airlines. Um, and it, it's sort of the, the nifty thing to be doing at this point. I think we need to get to a point where it's less of a um, decision to do something because it's faddish at the moment and get to a point where it is commonplace everyday business to do this. And that's going to take a few years. And in your career, you've seen many fads. You've seen algae suddenly being hot. You've seen the early days of solar and, you know, you've seen those projects fail. Are you worried that we're going to have a, a sort of wind, a SAF winter where, you know, the initial hype's died off and then it gets very hard to find capital? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that, um, I think everybody on the planet is super attuned to the, um, 2030 or 2050 um, uh, goals. Uh, I, 
I know my own children who are in their 20s, um, you know, and working in their first jobs uh, are super interested in this decarbonization. They don't want to be going outside and seeing some sort of um, fog, um, you know, 50 years from now. So uh, none of us do. And so I think people are taking it very seriously. Uh, but when you take it seriously, you have to expect the investors who are putting the money up to take it very seriously, too. So you're saying so. get an institutional investor in early and then the plan is they stick with you. They get you. They You know, you get a big fund in or a big um a big hedge fund, pension fund, they come in early, they get you through the um, development equity financing, and then hopefully they stay for the project. That's right. And then we may have to end up um, adding additional investors uh, for the project um, because that's so much more expensive than, than doing an early round of equity versus um, paying for the entire project cost. And, and would you rather have a strategic investor in there, an oil company or an airline, or do you, do you not care? You should just take the money you can. At this point, I'm taking the money that I can. Um, I'm not going to overlook any investor that's willing to invest because I'm so desperate to try to find the money. I think that will change over time. And certainly the, the perfect scenario would be to have an airline um, be the off taker and also invest in the project, but not every airline can afford to do that. Uh, obviously, it would be unfair to impose that um, reality, if you will, on the airlines. Um, so each project ends up being its own unique set of facts and circumstances. And that's what makes it interesting to me as an investment banker. And that's why I like the sector is it's just endlessly interesting. Uh, it's global. Uh, and it's a really important area because um, the decarbonization imperative is serious and it's real and urgent. John, thanks so much for joining us. That was fantastic. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.